0: Rosie Greenleaves is the Executive Director of the Crafts Council, a national charity in the UK promoting the value of craft and making to society. The Crafts Council has supported thousands of makers through its talent development programs and brings high quality craft projects and events to the public across the country. Rosie is passionate about the importance of giving children and young people a craft education. Rosie, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: So, I wanted to start today just to ask you about yourself. Obviously, we know you are the executive director of the Crafts Council, but just tell us a little bit about you, what you do.
1: Okay, so um, I've been at the Crafts Council for 15 years now. Um, My background is in the visual arts more generally. and uh, uh, more recently getting into sort of more policy, cultural policy, things like that. So, so running the Crafts Council is the ideal role for me in many ways because we're a national organisation, we're a national charity. So part of what we do is about engaging with all sorts of craft from everyday making right through to luxury craft. Um, So there's a fantastic sort of engagement with the creative aspects of craft, which is what I absolutely love with my visual arts background. But at the same time, we are an organisation which is there to show leadership on behalf of the sector. So that requires a certain amount of lobbying and advocacy and policy and all of those sorts of things in terms of talking to the government and to uh, funding bodies about why craft needs to be supported and what the issues are for it. So a lot of the things through my more senior roles that I've had in past years have have informed that work as well. So we work across the whole of the UK, predominantly in England, but not exclusively. Um, And of course, we sort of position ourselves within an international context as well.
0: What's the most exciting thing about um, what it is you do?
1: Um, I I think for me, what I find really interesting about my role is that at the Crafts Council, We've always tried to focus on the new and the cutting edge and being pioneering that's one of our values um, and what's been most exciting for me in the time I've been at the cross Council is how we've explored all sorts of new and innovative ways in which craft contributes to society so for example we've we've run a whole program of activity around the way in which craft making and mat- knowledge of materials, Um, can contribute to innovation in science and technology, for example. So some of those very traditional processes and ways of making are now being used in really cutting edge technology. Um, And I find that enormously exciting and and very fulfilling. Um, I think there's a whole, well we might come on to it in a minute perhaps, but, but the whole aspect of the way in which craft is about materials And of course, nowadays, those materials might not be those traditional uh, materials such as clay or glass or whatever. They could be. But actually, now we find makers using coffee coffee grounds or mushroom spores or all of these other ways. But it's all driven by a deep understanding of materials and and an ability to make something out of those things. And for me, I, I think that's incredibly exciting. And it's about expressing craft as something which is, evolves and is dynamic, not something that's sort of set um, in, in aspect, so to speak, which is what I think sometimes craft can be um, classed as a sort of thing that doesn't change. It's all about tradition and, and you can't possibly ever change anything. And for me, that's not what it's about. It's about being a dynamic, changing sector.
0: Interesting. Just picking up on what you said about tradition and craft. I mean one often thinks about craft as being, like you said, embedded in tradition. How does tradition feed into this um the 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 perceived value of a crafted artifact?
1: So I suppose the first thing I would say is that, that tr- tradition still is enormously important and it's the core of everything that makers do. Um that 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 is always there. I think the differences between tradition where somebody is making something and making it in a time-honoured way and and in that sense the thing is always the same you're just doing the same thing but you're making it really really well as opposed to at Crafts Council where I think what we're more focused on is how might you take those time-honoured traditions and do something new with them so that's what I mean about how um for example uh there's a maker I know who um who developed these glass molds for for the Royal Free Hospital, and they were used to grow cells on, basically. So what he was doing was taking very traditional means of making, using glass, but applying it in this highly medical, innovative context. So tradition is always there. Um, You could be it could be basket making, but you might be basket making using plastic or nylon thread or whatever, as opposed to rush or willow. So the tradition is still there. Something is core, whether it's the material or the process. But it's just that then what you do with it, how you apply it, what you do, um, how you use it is is where the innovation comes And I think in that sense, craft has this wonderful thread because you can see that heritage always there, but it's just about how it's then applied.
0: I have now have two questions. Firstly, how would you define craft? Uh And how then do you move away from what is sometimes perceived as something that is a home hobby? Because there's a difference, isn't there?
1: So in terms of how I would define craft art for me, and um, I think for the Crafts Council more generally, it's about a combination of technical skill, uh, a deep knowledge and understanding of material, um, and and innovation, creativity. And I think those are the three things. It's the head, hand and heart. It's about how you do these things together. And that doesn't mean to say things have to be made Exclusively by hand, because things never have really been made by hand in that strict sense. Um, but th- there's a, a control over the means of production is really important as part of that. I think that craft can run from there. You know, somebody who makes at their kitchen table, um, who makes as 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 a hobbyist or a grassroots crafter. Um, I think that has meaning for that person and brings value to that person. Um, But it can also mean, on the other hand, you know, the very, very top end of of, uh, ceramics or glass, which might be acquired by the DNA or um, or even the tape, for example. And in a way, I think. Football is quite a good way of of thinking about craft, because if you think about all of those people who go out on a Saturday or Sunday and play football as well as they possibly can, and they do it, they're amateurs, they do it because they love it, grassroots football, right the way through to the Premiership. It's all part of football. And in the same way, I think that's all part of craft. Um, It's just that how you how you value it, what the rationale is for why you're doing something will be different. So for somebody who makes it at their kitchen table, they're doing it because it gives them joy. They're doing it because it makes them feel better. It's about self-esteem. It's about de-stressing. It's relaxation. It might do be because you do it with other people and it's about that communal um, or community of, of makers, as opposed to somebody who perhaps is making in the context of commercial galleries, where they're following a very strong aesthetic. They're wanting to get to a particular um standard of making uh, they're using ideas they're sort of pushing the boundaries of what they're trying to do and it's all about developing you know a a a, 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 um, a body of work that they can sell and is acquired and and uh, acquires status because it's seen as being of, of a standard
0: tell us a little bit about your um interpretation of craft and its relationship to craftsmanship
1: so, I think that craftsmanship is very important and and, as I was just saying, I suppose in a, in some ways, it's the sort of it's that continuum again between, for example, making as opposed to craft. Um, now, it's perfectly possible that you can have somebody who makes, who makes at their kitchen table, who is an amateur but actually technically is incredibly skilled. And I think you can see that often in in the hordes of women who who embroider and knit um, or quilt, for example, most extraordinary quality of work, for example. Um, But you might not necessarily in aesthetic terms necessarily say that that was the best thing anybody's ever seen before but the point is that there is craftsmanship in there because there's technique and there's skill in the work so I think it is about these three different things and how they all come together the knowledge of material the, the, um, uh, the technique uh, and then creativity and I think that's where that sort of sense of innovation is particularly where the Crafts Council's interested, because I think that's where you can start to see how, how craft can be used in different ways. I
0: mean, it's a fascinating subject, because you it, you know as soon as you start talking about it, it opens up this mm. whole world of unexplored mm. definitions of what it is we do, how we do it, um, the influences, the heritage, the history, all those sorts of things. And... As we're talking about luxury today, I was wondering what your thoughts are then on the connection between the Crafts Council and and your um, body of makers and luxury.
1: Okay, so so just just in response to what you just said, I I think craft is a contested word. Um, it always has been, and and probably luxury is as well. Actually, in some ways, um, hence and, our conversation. And Yes, indeed. Um, so where where is the connection? Well, I I suppose um, there are two ways that there's a connection, and and I think it's not dissimilar to if you think about the sort of the verb and the noun, so to speak. So so if you think about craft, the noun of craft is very much objects, and it's the institutions and the people that make up the craft institution, uh, the craft sector. If you think about it as a verb, it's much more about how you apply yourself to something. So, you know, you can have the craft of theatre writing, for example, or the craft of acting. So it's 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 a much, much broader term. Um, and in a way, I think there's something not dissimilar around luxury as well. So there is a connection undoubtedly between um, craft and the objects that people make and luxury because of that notion that craft is often bespoke it's often commissioned it will have taken a great deal of time to make it might be of materials that are perceived as being luxury so you know if you think about silver or gold and and those sorts of things so um in that sense i guess there is an absolutely direct um connection with with luxury um but I don't think that all craft is luxury if you see what I mean and I suppose if you think about the history of craft craft was every day it wasn't about like, well that actually that's not true it was every day but also you know there would be the wonder camera of, of the you know the emperor of Austria or whatever and the most extraordinary things would have been made in you know the 15th or well, 14th century or whatever um and I suppose What's different now is that craft post-industrial revolution has become disconnected from the everyday in that people don't have hand bowls and handmade objects around their houses to drink or eat out of because, you know, we, we buy manufactured goods. So as a consequence, things have become more rarefied and therefore there is this association with luxury.
0: What's interesting to me um, is often going to the craft councils, you know, to the exhibitions and seeing the quality of the craft um, or the the craftsmanship and typically the time that the makers have taken to make the products, Mm. one could easily define that as luxury. When you go Mm. into a luxury branded store and you find something that is mass produced, in my mind, the question is always, is that luxury? Because I can easily, and this is a personal thing, I can easily equate luxury to the crafted, made object, but I find it much more challenging to define something that is mass produced, mm. but defined as explicitly defined as luxury in the mm. store. I wondered what you thought about
1: that. I think that's a really interesting point, actually. And um, I think it's quite interesting about how luxury brands. Um, have absolutely over the last probably about 10 years, I would say now absolutely bought into the whole craft agenda you know they've tried to express the values of their brand through craft you know like from range you know Land Rover to Levi's they're gonna say I mean how many pairs of Levi's are made every year and yet you know they present it as, as being about craft you know these are handmade well I'm not so sure about that but anyway Um, so I think I think I think it's really interesting what you're saying because actually many luxury brands are about manufactured goods. And in fact, of course, lots of luxury brands have their sort of cheap ends that, you know, so you buy into the brand, actually, that's all you're doing. You're not actually getting a luxury good, but in your mind, it might be. It was interesting that I read something about this notion of luxury or value around, um, you know, the more expensive something becomes, the more people associate it with value, even if actually it's not any better than the cheap version. Um, so there's something there as well about luxury brands, of course, because they they are um, they are generally expensive.
0: As you were talking about the luxury brands and them exploiting this idea of the handmade, you know, the term savoir faire appears everywhere now within mm. the LVMH group or the Richemont group,
1: mm. and
0: you know, it's not denying that there is an element of absolute skill in some of the products they make Mm. but like you've said you know they apply to everything and i Mm. and i wonder if that diminishes the value of not only the product but also the maker because with the crafts council you immediately attribute somebody with the thing that you've bought there's a connection
1: yes and i think that's a really important point in relation to luxury because i think that's where you have what i would call the, the the artisan um you know and and often artisans by definition almost are unnamed um and i suppose at the Crafts council always my my mission has been to make the maker the hero to say you know it's about the maker as much as the object that's important and we should celebrate these people for their skills and i think it is interesting within the in the luxury context that you don't You're told who the the designer is, but you're not told who the maker is. And I I remember going to see um, at the Design Museum, uh, this was before it moved um, to its new location. So it was down on Chad Thames. And there was an exhibition of a very famous luxury shoe um, designer or maker. And There was a huge focus on them as a person, how they designed and so forth. And there was one tiny little element of the exhibition that showed about how the shoes were made and it referred to the artisans. And that was it. And it was as if, you know, but the fact was that this person's work was entirely predicated on skilled people who could make these shoes, but they were totally unnamed they were absent from from the whole notion of what the value of this thing was it was the person rather than than those artisans so i think i think there is a danger um that often within craft people become hidden or unnamed um, and in one sense that's about the fact that craft has always been seen as you know this is where one gets into these sort of slightly con- binary situations because on the one hand craft is about luxury but it also is about the everyday in many ways as well and in that sense of course you don't think about you don't he- make the maker heroic in the same way that you would an artist for example and therefore you know what's wrong with artisans being unnamed on the other hand I think it's a great shame because what happens is the value is not attributed to them and therefore people don't appreciate the 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 sort of cultural the craft value of buying something and therefore. They don't want to spend money on it. And actually, if somebody's put thousands and tens of thousands of hours into something, then rightly they should be able to charge a reasonable amount of money for it. And then you end up with something being seen as luxury because it costs more.
0: Often the idea of luxury is not or shouldn't really be equated to money. However, often the amount of time it makes to make the thing makes the thing expensive.
1: Indeed, yeah, and 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 that's and that's and and we may come on to this, but of course that's assuming that luxury is an object, which of course it's not necessarily, and that's what I mean about the noun and the verb in a way. Luxury can be thought of as being a set of institutions, you know, those those luxury brands, as opposed to simply. The way in which you experience something, how what it means, the value that somebody attributes to something, whether that's an object or an experience.
0: Could you have a craft experience?
1: Oh, that's an interesting question. Um,
0: yeah, I was just thinking. I, you can oh, have a I don't experience.
1: know the answer to that. Well, Yes, <laughs> yes, you can. Yes, you can. Absolutely, you can. Sorry, um, because I think what is interesting about craft is that, again, more recently, this notion of the experiential you know that actually people want experiences they don't just want to buy something or have an object they want to experience something and in some ways craft is the ultimate experience in that you know especially if you buy from a, you know what people like is that connection with the maker and they like the stories behind the maker and so you know, often people build up a relationship with with a maker, so there's that sort of sense of the experience and the relationship with with that person. So in that sense, you experience craft. But also, increasingly, people want to do it, have a go themselves. Um, so lots of people now are making for themselves or going to workshops run by professional makers. Um, and so in that sense, I think you can experience craft. Um, and 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 in that way it can come back to what i was saying much earlier which is you know the experience can produce something which might not necessarily be the best possible thing in terms of quality but actually the the sense of joy that that's brought to somebody in terms of being able to say i made that um and the sort of sense of self-esteem um and the the um enjoyment that they've got out of that process of making something that's where the craft can be luxury could be sitting down and drinking a lovely cup of coffee for example or having the time to you know sit in the garden and do nothing you know i mean uh, of course luxury is not necessarily an object in that sense
0: what do you then think makes a product luxury as opposed to an experience
1: well i suppose that—is um,
0: is that a bit of a trick question <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, I mean, the difference between experience I mean, they are, they are slightly different things and they're one and the same. I I suppose um, a product which is luxury is something, I mean, I guess in some ways one tends to think of of luxury as being something which is not necessarily useful. Um, You know, so actually having, you know, a lovely, very expensive candle, for example, is a great luxury object. uh, and, but you have the experience of burning it and the smell and the fragrance and all of those things associated with that. So in, one, in that sense, I think an object can can do both things at the same time. And, and the same as, you know, you can have a beautiful cup, which is luxury because it's cost you a lot of money to to buy, but actually a glass, for example, um, but actually the experience of using it, um, is it is an experience but it's also a luxury to use that thing and it makes things special i mean i have a a bowl um which i use for breakfast uh ceramic bowl it's it's a, a leech pottery bowl so it didn't actually cost very much they you know bat small batch production um but it makes the experience of eating my muesli in the mornings all that much nicer And I I probably, I think I probably take more care about preparing my breakfast because I'm using this special bowl than I would do if I was just, you know, putting it in any old breakfast bowl.
0: All of these things are so individual um, or individually expressed, but we are told um, very differently. You know, the media stories about how we define things um, are very different to the way that one defines them oneself,
1: I think. Mm. and I think I think there is there is a sort of you know a downside in that this notion that luxury is something not for everyone because not everyone can afford it and and that is unfortunate because I think that you know from a craft perspective it's really important to us that craft is not seen as being something that can only be afforded by people who have lots of money um you know and 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 that's that's a challenge because, on the other hand, we want makers and, and class people to earn a decent living. And if they have put hundreds of hours into something, then they rightly should be able to charge for that. On the other hand, what one doesn't want is a situation where you end up with a set of rarefied objects that only certain sorts of people can afford to buy um, because the joy of craft is that it is a very um, accessible thing. People people relate to craft and objects differently to fine art, for example. I think often people find craft much more approachable. Um, There's almost like a sort of instinctive reaction to to craft. Um, There's something quite sort of deeply human about the act of making something and, and the response to the materials. You know, it's something you can pick up, you can touch. All of those different things, and so I think you know, ensuring that luxury doesn't become something which is only for the very, very wealthy, um, I think is really important to avoid.
0: I mean, interesting what you're saying about the definitions or the perceptions of of art and craft, and I just think about Grayson Perry. You know, he always called himself a potter. He's now mm. an artist. Mm. It's a very different thing. Um,
1: Although he quite cleverly continues to call himself a potter because it actually adds to his cachet within the context of of the visual arts. so you know he sort of knows how to play it both ways in many ways um but having said that he makes his own plots, It's as far as i know i mean it's not like you know he's an artist that has somebody else do it for him um and i think also but he's what,
0: not jeff Koons.
1: no and um, but also what's interesting is how he lives his life through craft i mean you know all, all his clothes are commissioned um you know he's motorbike he had commissioned you know everything he, he is, is um I think he had leathers made especially for um you know so so in that sense I think you know he actually really does engage with the act of sort of commissioning and and buying um, from people who make for him and and that obviously for him is obviously a great joy as well as something he's very committed to.
0: And he's unashamedly pro- craft and art and Mm. not, you know, not, you know, he doesn't shy away from saying, yeah, I know I'm making a lot of money because I'm an artist Mm. as opposed to being a potter. A different story now to what it was 20 years ago. So if you dropped one of his plates, it wouldn't have been such a big deal. No,
1: no, indeed. (laughs) Indeed. That's correct. Absolutely.
0: Tell us a little bit about some of the crafts people you work with. How does um, the process work within the Crafts Council? Can anybody join or had, you know. So,
1: so we're not a membership organisation in that sense. So, any anyone can, you know, be part of the Crafts Council in that. Um, you know, we produce a lot of content online, we uh, information which anybody can access. So, whether that's um, editorial stories, fact, you know, facts and um, figures, uh, you know, it could be about different types of makers how craft sits in you know um contributes to health and well-being or where you can find the most interesting exhibitions anything like that is is free and available on the website right the way through to things like um you know we do serious research and, and that all goes on the website so anyone could be part of the crafts council you just have to sign up to the mailing list and 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 then you'll get information from us we do have some things where we um We have a sort of level of entry. So, for example, we have a directory of makers um, and you apply to be part of that. But we we work quite hard to make sure that that is accessible to a broad range of people. Um, And we have somebody who will support people in their applications to make sure that, you know, they have every chance of getting through the process. Um, Our... um, our Collect, our international art fair. That that is a you know there's a high standard for people to to become part of that show, um, but that doesn't mean to say that it has to be inaccessible in the sense that you know we had a really um, very successful stand a couple of years ago um, at Collect, which was from um, uh, studios in um, Peckham called Into Art. Um, and they work specifically with people who have learning disabilities. Um, and these were two people, artists, and they're supported to work as professional artists, a textile artist and a ceramicist. And they showed work at the fair and they sold work to the v for example. So, you know, the idea that there's only a particular sort of person that can make amazing craft is not the case. But in those cases, it is selected. But increasingly, we've focused on making sure that anyone can access what we do. So we do now do a lot more work where we're inviting anyone to participate in activities because we want people to enjoy and, and experience that joy of craft. And my view is that it's only when you start to get involved in 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 a relatively basic way you start to understand the value of craft and how difficult it is to do that thing and therefore it encourages people to value those people who work at the very high end at the same time.
0: I mean what struck me is how wide-reaching craft is and Mm. its potential, you also mentioned um, that part of your role is about lobbying government. Mm. What I find slightly odd is that it appears on the surface that the government doesn't value the creative industries as much as perhaps it should. And I wondered how challenging it is for you as the executive director of an institution that is so fundamentally important to our, uh, I suppose, our psyche. How difficult it is for you to get them to appreciate the um, not only the importance of making, but all the um, associated benefits with health and well-being, community, um, kind of social, political matters. How how difficult is it for you to to get them to kind of appreciate all of that?
1: Um, it is challenging. Um... But one of the things that I did when I first joined the organization was to say craft is part of the creative industries. It is a, it's named as a creative industry. So we need to be able to talk about it in those terms. Um, And we need to align ourselves with design, with film, with all of the other creative industries, because collectively we've got a much better chance of of having impact than we would if we did it on our own. Because, you know, I have to be realistic, we are a relatively smaller sector compared with perhaps film or TV. Um, Not only perhaps in size, but just in perception, people think of, you know, those other sectors as being much bigger. so firstly, we sort of align ourselves with that broader context. I think the other thing is that we we realised or I, it was very clear to me that we must have proper evidence, robust evidence, because if you can produce the evidence base for why these things matter and, and how much value you can attribute to them, it helps an awful lot because people don't want to listen to you unless you can produce that sort of evidence. So, so that's something we've, we've worked really hard at. I think what's um interesting is that you know we I do meet with civil servants at the DCMS quite regularly and actually during the period of the pandemic and uh, um uh, off the back of Brexit we have lobbied quite hard around different things so for example support for freelancers and so forth now I don't doubt that the fact that we've said those things won't have necessarily changed the dial, but I think that we, alongside other people who have all been saying the same thing, have has changed the dial and helped. I'm, I'm absolutely sure of that. Um, so it is a challenge, and I think at the moment one of the big challenges is that on the one hand the government says that it very much supports the creative industries, and I believe them when they say that. On the other hand, um, that does not you cannot see that when you think about education policy and the way in which um, education or, or craft education or indeed a creative education is treated not only um, at schools but with a higher education context as well. And and that I find deeply worrying because if you really do value the creative industries, you have to have the talent pipeline. You have to have the pipeline of people that are going to come through and want to do these things uh, and work in the sector. Um, But you also want people to have that experience because they also become the consumers as well. And I think that, you know, we've had an amazing creative industries over the last sort of 30 years in this country. And I think we are in, in danger of losing some of that if we don't invest in in a creative education um, and for me specifically a craft education
0: the last time we saw each other I think the industrial strategy had just been released Mm. (laughs) and there was there's virtually no mention in there of the creative industries which I find I found you know I still find I, I you know it amazes me because you know like you've said the creative industry as adds so much not only to the economy but to you know people's um sense of community to their you know health and well-being all those things
1: and and you know i think it's i think creative industries in the last um uh, set of statistics that came out was second fastest growing i mean it's grown you know it's growing four times faster than most other uh, other sectors or something like that i mean it's 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 a very very significant sector for the country um and you know it absolutely deserves, deserves to be supported Um, And I I sit on the Creative Industries Council and what we have done is is produced um, a paper that talks about the value of the creative industries to the country and then how we can work with the government together to to improve the offer that we make um, to the country and, and the impact that we can have for the country. Um, and it, it, of course, with the pandemic it's been particularly difficult for the creative industries, especially those people who are freelancers um because they haven't you know they haven't necessarily had the support that they needed um and that and that's deeply worrying alongside brexit so there are some big issues for them at the moment for the craft sector and for the creative industries more generally
0: yeah i was just thinking about the challenges that the makers have made and i know that contemporary applied arts face challenges because they you know mm. couldn't go into the store they couldn't mm. do the, you know have many of their shows um with you collect was um, postponed
1: well it what no collect wasn't postponed we did it it was just virtual so it was different in
0: that respect yeah so well that enhances the question because how Mm. then has technology
1: Mm.
0: helped the situation because Mm. one would assume you've reached a much wider audience Mm. or not
1: so so technology i think has been our savior to be honest over the pandemic I, i think you know i found myself thinking how extraordinary it is that i have been in this room um that I'm sat in at the moment for the last nearly 18 months now, every day working normal working hours, if not longer, um, doing my job. And, you know, I've spent, before that, spent the last 20 years commuting to London every day to go into my office. So, you know, how is it possible that I can do all of this without leaving my house? Um, But I have because of digital technology. And I think, you know, Zoom is the most extraordinary thing because I, I was thinking, I'm not sure it would have been possible to do what we could have done, have done rather, if it was only email and telephone. I I just don't think that would have been possible. So it has been really, really important. I think that digital technology has been impacting on the craft sector for quite a long time, actually, Um, in two ways. Um, The first, which is not so much related to what what you're wanting to talk about, but I'll mention, is the way in which people make things. So as a tool, digital technology has become a tool in making, whether that's computerised weaving or um, 3D printing and, and, and various things like that. And it is just a tool, which is why makers, I think, are legitimate in using it. But the other reason why it's important is because of the way in which you can connect with people, particularly through social media. You can sell online, all of those sorts of things. And actually what we've seen is increasingly people doing very well by selling work online. And craft lends itself very well to social media because social media, especially things like Instagram, are all about visuals and they're all about stories. And that's what making and craft is about. It's about objects, materials, you know, very visually rich things. And it's about the stories of how things are made and the makers who make them. So it's perfect for digital technology. And I think that's why we produced a a document quite recently called the big piece of research called the market for craft report. And what that showed is how craft has grown immeasurably over the last 10, 15 years and how much digital has been important in that, even though actually that report also told us that many, many people still want to see things physically as well. So over the last year, what's happened is that those people who were already selling and presenting themselves online just flipped into doing that alone. Um, And and actually, some people did incredibly well, really well during this period of time. Others who perhaps have been more um, nervous or um, a little bit more neutral about the idea of using digital technology, those are the people that struggled because it was it was very difficult for them to suddenly pivot to digital at the last minute so for them it's been much more difficult for the crafts council i think what's important is that We've been able to get our message and our information out to a lot more people. So we instantly started pushing out information for craft businesses about where they could get support, where they could get help, what was going on, sharing information amongst different people. We um, have a network of organizations called Craft UK. Uh, Lots of people joined up to that. So we were meeting online and sharing information about what was happening to people. You know what the impact was. How could we help? um, What did people need? You know, so so all of that networking happened through Zoom. So it was enormously useful for us to be able to use that mechanism to reach out to people. And of course, we were able to reach out to a lot more people than we would have done if we'd had a meeting in London, for example, and invited, you know, the whole of the UK along. We would have got, you know, I don't know, 100 people, maybe. Online, you can get thousands of people. And in fact, when we did Collect, which is our international fair, we did that entirely online. Originally, we thought that some of it would be physical. But then, of course, lockdown happened. second lockdown happened. Um, And we had a number of um, talks and events, which is always part of Collect. Um, So we had Glenn Adamson, who's a very well-known curator now based in uh, in the States, in conversation with Edmund Duval. And we had people from Australia and all over the world attending that. And and there was something like one and a half thousand people on that call. So, you know, you can reach so many more people in a much more effective way and of course it's a lot less expensive as well so it meant we were able to do a lot more with the limited funds that we had available to us.
0: It's amazing and I mean the other technological opportunities are makers making together so you, you mentioned 3D yeah. printing you know it's easy to share files collaborate in mm. that way which yep. you know somebody might not have done in the past.
1: Yep. And, and actually, one other thing I will mention is that we know a lot of graduates were really distraught because they weren't able to get into their studios, they weren't able to have graduate shows. So we we worked quite hard to gather information from universities about what online shows they were doing. And we pushed all of that out so that actually we could try and you know, broaden the number of people that might actually see that work. We also did a bit of work through our Young Craft Citizens group, um, which is a group we set up for young people who are interested in craft and making some of those are at university or, or colleges and so we did some online crits with them to give them some support so that they actually had they you know they felt as if they had some sort of experience of what what it might have been like if if they had been showing their work properly to the public and I and I know that was really well received um because the people just especially younger people they felt very isolated so it was really important to be able to use it in that way we did the same with teachers we had sort of you know evening drinks with teachers online to talk to them about you know how, how things would get a lot of it was was about support basically it was just mutual support moral support um and, and and creating spaces for people to just have conversations and share information
0: it's quite amazing because I, I guess that as awful as the pandemic was is may still be um mm. it has brought a lot of a lot more people together and mm. what i'm I'm now kind of what's kind of going around in my head is that a distinct a difference between the Craft community and the luxury community is that there is a craft community, and you've just explained mm. how significant and wide-reaching that is, which you don't actually get with within the lux- the world
1: of luxury. No, that that is interesting, and I and I think it is. You know, as I said right at the beginning, I think that that sense of community is re- very important within craft, um, and you see that in those amateur groups. Um, for example, right the way through to things like craftivism, where people are making and using craft as a means of protesting or, or making a point. Um, and, and that's about, you know, like pussy hats and things like that, where people have been crocheting hats that they wear at protests and, you know, or it might even be an online protest. So so there is a very strong sense of community and, and thinking about films. And I don't know. Um, some people might not remember this film, but there was a fantastic film called Witness many years ago um, that had Harrison Ford in it. Um, and he plays a sort of CIA agent that has to sort of seek refuge in a in a, an Amish community in, um, in uh, New England. And um, there's this wonderful scene where all of the community come together to build a barn. And they literally build the barn by hand together um, And it's just the most phenomenal scene, and I love that film, and I love that particular scene. And I think, you know, for me, that's what's really positive and life affirming about making is how people can come together and make this enormous thing that you just you couldn't possibly do on your on
0: your own. I just I wanted to touch on one other, uh, two other things. I was going to say one, but I'm going to say two. There's uh, the issue of our environmental concerns and sustainability. Mm. And I was wondering what your position or the Crafts Council's position on that is and uh, and what the position of your craftspeople.
1: So um, I think there's a very interesting situation with craft because on the one hand, craft is associated with sustainability because things last, because they can be mended, all of those things. And lots of young people want to buy craft for those very reasons. Um, also, they want to know where it's been made, they want to buy local, they want to know that it's been made um, ethically, all of the you know, materials have been sourced ethically. So, in that sense, I think craft is really a positive model for sustainability. Having said that, on the other hand, of course, um it is to a degree about consumption, um, and it is also about using. Materials and techniques that can have an impact, you know in terms of climate change and carbon footprint. So you know if you think about the amount of energy that's used for firing um, ceramics or indeed for um, blowing glass, so there are some issues there, albeit, of course, if you think about glass, lots of people are now using recycled glass and so forth. So so I think as a sector, we have a huge part to play in showing ourselves as a positive model, but we do have to look to ourselves and think about where we could improve things. I think that there are some interesting ways in which we could start to think about things going forward around how how makers can really promote their their environmental sustainability credentials in a positive way that actually helps them, um, but also helps local communities because the more people focus on buying local, the better. Um, And that's where craft can play a really important part. So going forward, what we want to do is think about ways in which we can really push that agenda. And it's going to be a priority for us in the next couple of years is how we can have craft businesses to be more sustainable, but also how we can demonstrate that craft can contribute to some of those issues. And I think the other thing going back to what we were talking about at the very beginning is how the maker's skills, you know, when you think about innovation in terms of use of materials and so forth, you know, there's a role for craft to play in that respect in terms of how can we, you know, um, uh, wean ourselves off some of these materials that are not good for the environment and and you know recycle, use more traditional materials in in a sustainable way. And I think craft has a has a play, part to play in that respect as well.
0: I don't know, yeah. We'll see about I'm adding this in. No, what I was thinking of is that craft is in essence luxury. Because all the things you've just mentioned, this, you know, about sustain being sustainable. Yes, some things might not be sustainable in the process of the making, but the sustainability comes because you value the object much more once it's made and Mm -hmm. it's not something you'd dispose of. Mm -hmm. Whereas luxury within the contemporary definition It's become a fashionable um, term which um, implies constant change and disposal.
1: Mm.
0: And craft is exactly the opposite because Mm. like you've said numerous times in our chat today is that there's a value attributed to the object because of the process of make, the person who's been responsible for making it. Um, I'm talking myself into how I'm now defining (laughs) what the you know luxury and craft because it they are inextricably linked but the one seems to have less value than the other now mm. in my mm. in my mind
1: or perceived value i guess is, perceived is value. what you're Ab- describing isn't it
0: yeah 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 absolutely i wanted to end on asking you what your luxury is
1: oh uh what is my luxury um well I. I think um, I I have if you're talking about an object, um, then I would say it's probably my bowl, my breakfast bowl, even though it wasn't a terribly expensive thing, but it is a luxury for me. Um, It's something that I really enjoy using. Um, And as I said, it's made me sort of prepare my breakfast in a more considered way, which is lovely. Um, What else is my luxury? My other luxury probably is is walking actually. I I love to walk and I'm very happy walking and and that's just a you know it doesn't cost me anything. Um but for me it's it's a it's a valuable thing. Um it it makes my life better and I put effort into it and it's still um even though it's an everyday thing, it's a luxury for me to do it because I know I have to I can create the time to do it.
0: That was fantastic. Rosie Greenlee's executive director of the Crafts Council in the UK. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, Rosie, for joining us. Thanks to our partner, Intellect Books. Thank you for listening and join us next time on the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast.